Missionary Mindset. This week, we continue our conversation with Jake from Pilgrimage Films. We talk about the film and video game culture. So let's jump right back in. You got a good Christian movie post-2015 you'd recommend? I think the two music ones that have came out recently are probably the two two better ones that we've shown. So the I Can Only Imagine was really good. A lot of students really like that. We've noticed that students in the classes on campus, because we have different groups that show up. We have uh, at our personal home, we'll show just any movie that we're interested in, obviously that, that we like. Sometimes you get a different group that shows up for that as opposed to the group that shows up for the the college on campus stuff with the ministry. A lot of the people on campus really like biographical type movies mm. that's telling a true story. Cause I think it, I think when people learn something about a person that's actually a real person, they seem to connect with that story better. And so you get into a deeper conversation about why that person reacted in situations, how they did as opposed to, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, if we show Lord of the Rings, it's going to be a very different, you know, yeah. elves aren't real, <laughs> dwarves aren't real, <laughs> you know, a very different conversation. And so I think, yeah, I can only imagine, I still believe, I think those two went really well. That one has, has Archie, which is always a putt for, yes. from the Riverdale. <laughs> it does. He actually does pretty good. Um, yeah. Riverdale. Is- Riverdale, if you if you want to, if there's any writers out there and want to tip, do the opposite of what Riverdale does for dialogue. Probably have the best dialogue in the world. That's true. That's true. There's so many. Like I, I grew up watching TV and movies and stuff like that. So, so I love good movies and TV. Riverdale's not one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I uh, actually the so I think both those films. I know I. I know I still believe, but I think I can only imagine they're made by the Irwin brothers. Um, they are, and they're yeah. Sony backed, which is good because then they had money to actually right. spend on a project. I think it's pretty neat. Those are, uh, they're actually, uh, I believe, alumni of Word of Life, the Bible Institute. And That's so cool. when I was going there as a student, we had a tech team. And I wasn't on the media team for video stuff, but they did train us. And there's a little training video, and it was the Irwin brothers basically telling you on VHS, like these different rules, like four, no more, stay more than four feet away from your shot. And I've never forgotten it. I remember emailing them and just asking what it was like to get into film uh, probably about 13 years ago. And they just answered back, very personable. But it, it's really great that like they, seeing them, they were the type of people who like had a vision to enter film and enter that industry. I actually, have had this idea to this for a decade, but I've done a lot of other ministry in the time and finally got around to it. I tried to start it in 20, 2008 and I was told that it's ridiculous and it won't happen and I couldn't get any resources behind it. It was kind of funny because probably if we'd started it back then, we'd be like doing pretty good in the, <laughs> in the, the media. But, but the yeah, it, it's neat and it's, it's cool to see you can be successful. I would say for me, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about why Christian films aren't successful because we do cinema. And I think the number one thing, and it's you'll see this if you watch like God's Not Dead, is I don't know what their writer's room is like for Christian films, but a lot of times it's like somebody has this idea of a philosophy or a concept and that's what they want to do. And so they start with that and then they build a character around it. 
but everybody in Hollywood who isn't necessarily trying to push an agenda starts with a character and builds a movie around it. And so you get these really weird fake people who act like you think a Christian should or shouldn't act instead of somebody who's like a normal person whose circumstances can reveal the gospel or help people draw closer to God. One of my favorite Christian films is actually not that Christian, but just because of the rawness and realness of it was Blue Like Jazz, uh, based on the book by Don Miller. Not a huge fan of postmodernism and all that stuff that's super destructive. But what I did like was the idea of it had a legitimate message to it and it had a legitimate story that felt like these are people I can meet in real life. Also probably helped that I'm from Seattle and every every single thing in Oregon is, is the new Babylon like that, but. Yeah, I think, I mean, I grew up in, in South Georgia, you know, the church, the uh, Saddleback, I think it's Saddleback that does the, the Christian movies, Fireproof and Flywheel and Facing the Giants. And Fireproof is so funny. We showed that to our students one time and there's this scene in it where there's a train coming and you're like, clearly nothing's gonna happen. Like nobody's yeah. gonna die. It's not that intense. The music isn't even that intense. It's just like kind of that weird fake drama they always do in Christian films to make, it's like, I need a conflict, so I'll make one up, but we're not gonna actually make it seem like a thrill. There's no Chekhov's gun where you're like, it's gonna happen. <laughs> we had male students crying and just at the edge of their seats in the movie Fireproof. And that's where I realized in Taiwan, the dramatic elements sometimes are more important than the quality of it. <laughs> <laughs> which is just so funny to me but that's true yeah. we showed yeah. recently overcomer i guess two semesters ago so not that recent but recent enough because i refused to show like their older stuff from that church just because the the quality's not very good uh, of their originals but the the newer overcomer is definitely their best one by quite a large margin but once again they also had a larger backer um, with production a lot more money to put into a project like that but yeah, there's not a lot of good Christian films. And I think that's, I think it's kind of like what you said. They Christians typically try to push just a philosophy or an idea and then create a story around just that idea. And that's a terrible way to write a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just not very good. And I, I mean, it says something that like there's a handful of films that are Christian in every Christian scene because they're so desperate for content that aligns with their worldview. Or even just, uh, I mean, I'm fairly desperate for content that just isn't preaching at me something I don't want to hear, like like just a normal movie, because that used to be how it was, but not everything has such a huge agenda with it. So I think, I think it's interesting. I think uh, there's, there's a lot of potential for high quality Christian films, but I also understand it's a difficult market. To, to, uh, you can take years to build loyalty and then burn it all down in a second because somebody said a curse word and your writers didn't realize that that's offensive to people, you know? And so it's a difficult, difficult genre. Yeah. Why do you think that change happened from, you know, I guess pre, I guess 2005, probably maybe 2008, 2005 and before then where people that did film were just trying to create just a story, not necessarily trying to preach anything, but just trying to, really just trying to create the best story they could so they can make the most money that they can. Whereas afterwards, they still care about the money. I think they care more about telling, you know, whatever their their quote unquote truth is. Why do you think there was that change? I So I think it actually has a lot to do with, so we, we've actually covered this in a video we did on guilt, but I, I believe basically that if you look at kind of the American uh, system 
or the Western world, our Western values are deeply held in kind of law and order and criminal cases. And a lot of that kind of shows up in the idea of guilt. And I always use this illustration because it kind of, I think is the quickest way to explain it. If I'm in Taiwan and I see a homeless person, he's going to be bowing on the ground and trying to do this stuff that kind of makes me feel like if I give to him, maybe a God will bless me. Or if I don't give to him, maybe I'm going to be cursed. Or it might even be uh, shame-based, that interaction. But in general, it's going to be fear-based. But when you go to the Western system and you see a homeless person, their sign, it's guilt-based. It's this idea of their sign is literally going to say something like, I'm a veteran, four kids, God bless, I want to work. The entire time it's saying, you should feel guilty. You need to feel guilty about your lifestyle. You're so privileged. And unfortunately, if you get exposed to that enough, you become kind of jaded because nobody wants to like walk into a room and have this deeply intimate insult with a stranger every time they do it. Right. And so, so that sign, which is totally projecting to us, you should feel guilty. You should feel guilty. We start to kind of be like, I don't want to feel guilty anymore. So I even remember as a kid, I would see like a homeless person and feel just overwhelming compassion. But then as I got older, I was so jaded that I'd see a homeless person and I'd feel like, you know what? he's probably a crack smoker. He loves the drugs. <laughs> like that's my initial assumption. And that's a real extreme to jump to, like looking at his, his lifestyle and that he's got a sign. Maybe there's truth there, but it's a pretty strong assumption. So how do you get to that point? And that's where I realized the economy of Western systems weaponizes the idea of guilt. And there's this idea of if you walk home and uh, you didn't, let's say, do something your mom told you to do, right? And you, you go into the house and the dishes aren't done. Uh, they might give you the silent treatment. They might just sit there. They might frown. And this whole time, what they're trying to do is trying to force you to have this interaction where you admit that you're guilty. And once you take that guilt upon you, it's like they have power to wield over you. Go to your room, do all that. So society at large there's a specific part of the population who's very smart and they might not realize intentionally what they've done, but they've learned to weaponize it. They've learned if you can weaponize guilt, you can wield power over people. And I think Twitter is the perfect example of this cancel culture. Someone admits guilt for a second, they're immediately canceled, but there's also this pressure of like, it's like inquisition, like let's root out guilt. Let's find out what people are doing. Let's see what evil they're doing. And so The key to it, though, is how in a guilt-based economy, how do you survive? And that would be innocence, right? And innocence is interesting in that it's, it's like a lack of guilt, like you haven't done anything wrong. And so there's this idea of, I don't want to be guilty. So I'm going to talk about all the ways things have been so bad to me. And then you're going to feel compassionate. And you're like, they can't be guilty. And you're going to literally be saying, I'm innocent. So what what happens is these weird interactions where someone, I grew up very poor, right? We're in the middle of adoption and I I had to take a bunch of white privilege surveys and the privilege surveys said stuff like, I had to like look at a list and be like, can I go out and find ingredients that are familiar to me? When I go outside, everybody looks like me. And I was supposed to check yes and all these things because it's literally, all their examples say the Midwest, they literally are just saying like, you know, if you're uh, somebody from the Midwest who's adopting a child, that you're, you're some white person who's going to colonize somebody, take them to the U.S. and just be like, hey, you're from a different country and you'll never meet anybody like you. Like that's, their, that's what it's kind of teaching. So it was really funny because I'm an immigrant in another country. So I couldn't fit anything on the survey. 
And I realized that a lot of the privilege stuff was questions related to immigration, oddly enough. But the whole time what they're trying to say is you should feel guilty for how good you've had it or what you've had or this or that. And the knee jerk response is how do I get my innocence in this situation? Well, I tell a story about how I didn't have it that good and I didn't do this. And so right now we're seeing in Hollywood and we're seeing in culture, this huge tension between a group that's basically trying to weaponize guilt and push it onto different people and different belief systems. And then the other tension of people trying to say, I don't wanna be part of that. I need to have my innocence. I need to have power in the system. And they're trying to basically marginalize themselves or say, this has happened to me and it's so bad and this or that. Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. And that's why like, it, it's a very destructive and very dangerous system. And once it gets weaponized, like it, it just becomes this way that like so, some great advice I heard on the internet was just, if you get sucked into that, right? And something comes up and you, you made a joke 15 years ago and people are like, you know, 15 years ago, we didn't have jokes or we didn't know jokes were bad, right? Don't apologize. And the reason why is when you apologize, you're admitting guilt. So you've given them leverage over you and you know how to, now you have to buy back your innocence. How are you going to do that? A lot of people just start admitting more guilt. That's why like Andrew Como recently had the greatest, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, I touch lots of people. I had uh, women, men, old people. I hug them. I sit child Bella. Like he goes on for a long time. He admits so much guilt. And what did it get him? A ton of news fame and media of people being like, this guy's kind of creepy, right? And so that's where you also see in one political party or one side of the aisle, there's actually a pretty strong tendency not to ever admit any sort of guilt. Um, or to ever internally look at it and just to move past it. And I, I've always found that really fascinating, just even being non-political about it, of just this economy. And if you learn to weaponize it, it gives you a lot of power. But as Christians, we're not called to weaponize power like that. And I think that's why it's hard too, for it to be done correctly. And I, th I think churches have weaponized guilt in the past, clearly, or shame. But by and large, it's been a different perspective, because it's always pointed to a moral standard like the scriptures. But if you don't have a moral standard, it's like you can just pull out guilt out of nowhere and just have power over someone until they submit. It's, it's weird. I definitely think as you were talking about how it, the change happened, I was thinking about like the church that you hear, I mean, or you see in movies or hear like old sermons and stuff where it's like, everyone's going to hell. They kind of weaponize guilt to a certain extent, but obviously the main differentiator was the moral law that they were bringing the guilt from, not just bringing guilt from wherever you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, and the Bible offers a solution. So it's not like just this system where people wield power over you. And, and Jesus broke down a lot of that stuff. Interestingly enough, the, the thing with Jesus is he, in that homeless person interaction, um, he practices mercy, which is withholding justice that is in your right to do. So he looks at that homeless person, he doesn't bring up his past into the interaction. And he practices grace. He would still bless the person regardless of what they have done. And so those two things are very antithetical to the worldview you see uh, that's kind of developed in the West. And yeah, very fascinating. I think a lot about it. And, and uh, once you start looking in your life, uh, you realize people just weaponize guilt all the time. And if you can start to call it out, like it actually is pretty freeing because you kind of realize like people will be like, hey, I noticed you serve at this place, but you didn't show up this night and you realize that you're serving, but you feel guilty for serving. Why is that? You're giving your time to help and you feel guilty about it. So at some point 
your your interaction with like let's say going to church and, and volunteering became a guilt interaction instead of an authentic I want to be here and help interaction. If you don't correct that, it's it's not going to be very long before you're like I'm burnt out. I hate this place. Nobody respects me, because you are looking at everything with the wrong perspective and you have the fear of man. And yeah, this is kind of I guess going to switch gears. I guess so. You talked about the Shanti video or Shang Chi video. I have not seen the series at all. Obviously, you got a lot of views on that video because it was attached to the Marvel movie. Are you considering doing a lot more videos like that with more, I guess, cultural ideologies with movies and films that are coming out, kind of like a review type thing? Um, or what What can we see in kind of the future of pilgrimage films look like? Yeah, so that that was, um, it wasn't expected it would be that successful, but we were watching it and realized, oh, this is kind of like really in our wheelhouse. I turned to my wife and was like, we should do a movie on this. And she's like, we have to. And now a word from our sponsor. Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations, church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org.tw. 75% to 80% of the traffic that came from that was YouTube searches, which is actually not normally how you get a lot of traffic. Yeah. I think a lot of times you get recommendations uh, or subscribers, but for that, it's because we actually were able to pinpoint a really specific question that I knew when I watched it, I had that question and that oddly enough, our YouTube channel could solve. Um, I've, I've thought about doing more content related to movie reviews and and aspects like that. And I would, in the future, I would definitely be open to it. Um, actually really think a lot theologically about things like even video games and the concept of what it's like for us to create our own worlds and incarnate into them and how they're coded. And so it's created by using words and the universe was spoken to existence in the scriptures. And I think there's a lot of deep things we can get out of those. But I also think that, so in, when it comes to analytics, that'd be considered trend surfing. So you look at a trend and you surf the trend and you're like, oh, that's great. Uh, there's a real danger in trend surfing being what you do because we're always waiting on the latest Marvel movie. And we're kind of like, I hope when this comes out, it's going to talk about some East Asian folk subjects. And we'll, we'll probably cover more religious aspects in the future and other religions. So there is some some play there the eternals is coming out and i know that a lot of the characters in that are actually based off of uh, mesopotamian gods and uh there's there's a ton of things you could do with that when it comes to the the wheelhouse of what we do i think that might be something that we do occasionally and then if we found that we were really successful in doing that well we might lean into it more as like secondary videos, but I probably wouldn't make that like our video of the week is doing Marvel stuff all the time, or maybe it would be a separate channel. But part, part of that too, is just because it's like, if I go and crack open tons of these books that are thousands of years old of Chinese history, there's so much content. And so it's the same with modern media and art. It, it kind of just demands its own focus and direction. So I think it'd be very hard for us to focus on that. But that's been the conversation in the office this week honestly, a lot of just like, it was successful. So what are the positives about that? And what is the balance there? And because, I mean, we could do three or four new movie or new videos on Shang-Chi because had a lot of East Asian mythical creatures, but 
then the challenge comes back to like, how many times can I cover a random mythical creature? And that really does connect with Christianity and spirituality. And so every single time is figuring out the solution to that. And like, when I compare and contrast these things. And so our Shang-Chi video in the movie Shang-Chi, there is this uh, really adorable character who is in Chinese history. It turns out is actually the God of chaos that they used, which is kind of funny because he just looks like a lump and was played for laughs and, and honestly was probably designed to sell merch around the holidays, but, uh, but probably, you know, we don't have baby Yoda this year, so we need Morris. And to be fair, I might buy a Morris doll, but the thing is that the comparison there that's really useful is this idea that man always personifies nature and concepts and abstract thoughts like chaos and builds them into the image of man or into the image of what they should be. And so they would take something like, you'd take something like the wind and you'd personify it and you'd have a wind God and it looks like a human being. And so we see personification. Uh, the definition of personification is basically to give human characteristics to something, but scripture is entirely different in that it has this kind of like godly personification where God actually gives his image to mankind. And so anytime something actually has personification and we make it in the image of man, it's actually like a, a faulty counterfeit of something made in the image of God. And so that's kind of that, that, that concept. So when we look at all the world religions, they're always taking everything and saying, how can we make this look like man? But ultimately what they're doing is saying, how can we make this look like the image of God? And I find that's a really interesting tension. So that was our kind of takeaway with that in that video but not everything is gonna have a clear takeaway. And so that's kind of where, you know, how, how do I take this? Uh, we've had requests to do a video on, there's a, there's a Chinese dragon horse in the, the movie that's really hilarious because it's, it's literally like the dragon horse in Taiwan and it just stares at them and it's playful laughs. laughs. And it's just kind of, I have to research the backstory, find out what, what it means, find out what it, it exists for. And then maybe that will unlock the key to it but it'd be very difficult to just say, we're going to switch to Marvel and do all this and do the, these types of content. So it's kind of a, yeah. So we're in an in-between phase and we don't have a ton of subscribers yet. We do have a fair amount of people who watch us. So we're, we're just about to hit 400 subscribers. Uh, that's not huge, but it's also not unrealistic the first year of YouTube to be under a thousand. And then, um, and then, but we get a lot of, views though so we've had some videos have gotten four thousand some have gotten three thousand so as that grows too that might also change a little bit of our dynamics uh, what our audience wants and what they need yeah i think one of my i guess my final question kind of in the future for pilgrimage films what will kind of look like i know you don't know exactly what it will look like because as your audience grows the content could grow and change with that audience and that's just how creative ventures work. So kind of what is pilgrimage films goals and kind of how will, how will it grow in the future? So it's hard for me to say how it will happen. I mean, lots, <laughs> lots can happen. Uh, yeah. We're not monetized. So honestly, this could be this baby that we really love that does have to shut down because it doesn't make sense. You know, we have to yeah. work a job. We have to do stuff. I'm in it for the long haul. So I don't think that's the case, but Personally, for me, I would like to expand into doing uh, a long-form documentary that's really high quality. I, the target I have is I would really love to raise probably about 15,000 US to get the equipment we need and do a documentary based on the Matsu pilgrimage and follow people as they walk around Taiwan for about seven days. And they walk uh, usually about 300 to 400 km. And I would love to, when you 
when you go to the pilgrimage and you see it, you see people are literally, they have shower trucks, this whole infrastructure, people are cheering each other on. And it's like entering into kind of this very unique aspect of people united and um, hundreds of thousands of people who believe in a different God. And I would love to see what it's like to walk alongside them and then to stay at temples at night and be able to have conversations in Chinese with people and say, you know, hey, like, this is what your God believes. This is what my God believes. What can we talk about? And to film that, I think could be a very special documentary. But that probably would be more of a production house thing. When I actually look at our channel, I want to make 52 videos this year and I want to get to a thousand subscribers. That's our goal. And then eventually more videos per week, but that would take probably a bigger team or better setup. If I had a dream and I was saying, what would it be cool to be like? <laughs> it would be awesome to have something that was very similar to like a Christian good mythical morning where people wake up and they have something that uh, kind of like good mythical morning used to be before everybody uh, started walking away from faith because it's, it's, it's hard to watch that. Like I really, I, I watched their content for a long time. It was great. I enjoyed it, but there was this shift where the joy of what they were doing felt to just kind of slowly go away. And there was just this unspoken nature of like, I don't know that you watched a YouTube channel. Uh, Cause I, I was watching Rhett and Link before they had good mythical morning back when they um, did things that I'm surprised they didn't get canceled for. If you ever look at the, the red house, hilarious video. Um, but uh <laughs> But then to hear them go through deconstruction, to walk away from the faith and to know that affects a lot of people looking at it. Um, and just the thought of like, as I said, we're going through the process of adoption and it's um, what what does it mean? You know, when we have a kid and we have to raise them in a culture and honestly, like uh, the last week we saw a lot of different uh, takes on different children's shows over the last month. And just them, I, you might've seen the one with Gonzarella and, uh, Basically the idea of like, I remember as a kid, like Muppet Babies, my favorite character was Gonzo. I was like, I felt like Gonzo. I'm the outcast. I'm the weirdo. But my kids are going to grow up in a generation where if they identify with Gonzo. They're also going to be confused about their gender and other aspects of it. And taking a story like Cinderella and modifying for it and um, not to be political about it on a, on a podcast, but for me, I feel like even if we were to say I am on the left or the right side, or I really believe in this or believe in that, like, I think there's a, there's a great place for Christian content, but there's also a great place for content that just doesn't preach garbage at you and at yeah. your kids. Like, you know, um, and I think it's fantastic when we cover Christian stuff, but I would love there to be YouTube content that you could also watch your family where you're just having fun and you're like, Oh, I can breathe. They're not going to pull out this weird thing and, and kind of like rattle my cage and guilt me into believing something think that's kind of where there is a lack of content available in the Christian realm of just like not necessarily Christian you know quote unquote Christian content but like just quality content that you can yeah. not have to worry about yeah when I was on the world race uh, I stayed with a person in Malaysia and um, part of his ministry was he ran a private school and he gave scholarships to people so under their law, he couldn't teach religion, but it was a Christian school. And the reason it was Christian is because if he didn't have a place where people could go and not be taught religion, their public school system was going to teach them uh, Islam, basically. And so uh, it was very interesting in that he ran a school, not 
to teach about Christianity, but just so that people could go to a neutral place and their families could be the person teaching them about their religion, their lifestyle. And um, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, forcing my religion down people's throat and teaching about it. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, I thought it was just a, a really unique concept. Um, that is one thing we've considered too in the future. I've considered my wife and then Hailey, our other teammate, they are not remotely interested in games. Uh, Shang-Chi was the first Marvel movie that Emily liked. So probably wouldn't go down that route, but highly, uh, she loves Marvel and stuff. So the Morris video is an easy sell. But for me, I think I would really, I'd be interested in doing something like pilgrimage plays and either doing reviews or different things related to games um, and probably deep dives into the philosophy and ideas behind them. But I think with our current audience, I don't know if that's something to be interested in. I think <laughs> that'd have to just be its own separate thing. Yeah, I think that would be the hard balance for you guys. Whereas like with a podcast, they can just, if they don't like, they get the description in the show notes, like they don't want to re listen to it. They don't have to download it. Whereas like YouTube video channels that try to follow like the vein, like you're trying to follow, I feel like adding, you know, plays or more Marvel stuff might, you know, for lack of a better term, muddy the waters almost <laughs> like, You'd almost need to have a second or third channel type thing to go down that road. Yeah. And I, I see a lot of people do that and then their second or third channel dies off or fails because it's, it's starting it all over from scratch and building it. Um, we're probably never going to do a Patreon and, and well, I wouldn't say never, but we're not focused on doing monetization right now. We're focused on yeah. creating good content, but I do think that uh, one of the things that we are doing, and, and this is very intentional was our first eight weeks we made sure our content was the same type. And then we tried to do one or two videos that were different. And then we did a bunch more of the same type and then tried to do more videos that are different and slowly to diversify over time, but not alienate your original platform. Because goodness knows if I lose my 400 people, so <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly like we're huge, but, <laughs> but you want to offer and make sure that people know what they're getting when they get to your channel. And so I think as we diversify, it makes the opportunity to maybe do stuff like that, but it's very dangerous. I actually feel like you can do almost any type of content and you're fine, but video games is super alienating to people who don't play video games. And so I, really I probably would get more success for me doing like a makeup tutorial than <laughs> that. Like, <laughs> so I just, I feel like that's something that probably has to either be separate or you have to know your audience is demanding it, but I would love it. I mean, I, I would love to just play video games and not that it's that easy. I mean, I make videos, but to stream and to do stuff like that. I've, I've thought about creating a series of books to where, um, and it could be a little timeless. So you don't pick just the games that come out that year, but I would love to create something where you could take it as a youth pastor and you could be like, this is a guidebook to where if I want to connect with my students, how do I do it through something like games? I'm convinced that Counter-Strike for example, Growing up, so many kids are influenced by sports because sports is where you see real emotion come out and you see somebody get super upset and be angry and have to deal with the idea that maybe you kind of suck at something or maybe you maybe didn't you're not suck and someone cheated. Yeah. And so it's, it's the perfect place for iron to sharpen iron. And so you see tons of people are heavily affected by the relationship with their coach. But when we come to the idea of youth group or church, it's very difficult to get those emotions to come out. And generally when they do, it's not coming out in a place that's acceptable. It's like, 
we're playing a game and, and little Billy goes off the rails and smacks a kid. And it's like, okay, now this is going to be difficult. And this is going to involve a lot of calls to different places, explanations. We hope it was filmed so that we don't look like we're responsible. It's a mess, yeah. but sports, you literally put people out and they're hitting each other to do it. Um, so I think what's interesting with games is some people, those same emotions come out and it's a perfect place for iron to sharpen iron. And to, when you see someone angry or, uh, you see people working as a team. Uh, you go through different ideas of stories. You practice patience when you're, you know, you're, you're seven years old and your brother's ten years old, and you have to wait till he dies before you can play. Like, there's all these things that you you do. So I think it'd be very interesting to see a curriculum or even a series based off of that. I think more Christian podcasts that are related to pop culture and video games would be useful because a lot of things don't get engaged. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the two-part conversation with Jake from Pilgrimage Films. If you enjoyed what Jake was talking about and want to listen to more of his content, you can subscribe to his channel on YouTube at Pilgrimage Films. And if you enjoy our content, please consider subscribing or giving us five stars on your podcast app choice. Once again, a big thank you to our guest, Jake Smith from Pilgrimage Films, as well as Dale, our editor and Nelson, our producer. And a big thank you to you, the listener. We couldn't do this without you. Until next time, bye.